The podcast members of the chamber is presented by Piper Foods and fueled by McCafe. If you're listening in your car, why not stop by one of Piper Foods' five McDonald's locations in Oakville or look them up on any McDelivery service. We thank Piper Foods for their generous support of our chamber and for everything they do in the community. Now let's get started. Welcome, Oakville Chamber, to Season 2 of our podcast, Members of the Chamber. Oakville Chamber members, one story at a time. Members of the Chamber is a podcast. For each episode, we sit down with one member of our Chamber community and have a conversation. A conversation about their individual entrepreneur or professional journey, their job, and how they ended up where they are today. My name is Drew Redden. I'm the President and CEO of the Oakville Chamber of Commerce. We're broadcasting from the Stable Studio co-working facility located at 320 North Service Road West in Oakville, Ontario, and this is Members of the Chamber. Members of the Chamber is brought to you by the DiscoverAbility Network. DiscoverAbility provides tools, resources, and support to help local employers attract and recruit job seekers with disabilities. DiscoverAbility offers a free job matching platform to help you find the best candidates for your job openings. Are you ready to become a more inclusive employer? Visit discoverability.network to learn more. Kristen, as we are about halfway through our second season, our listeners are growing and we just hit a thousand unique downloads. Yes, what a great milestone we just achieved. And not only are more listeners tuning in, but we're getting listeners across the globe. We're global now? Where are folks listening from? Uh, Any from Nova Scotia? (laughs) Of course, uh, yes, we've had downloads in Nova Scotia. and Actually, we've got listeners from coast to coast in Canada and throughout the United States. We've got listeners in South America, across Europe, and as far as Japan and Australia. Oh, wow. Well, you know, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in, including mom and dad in Nova Scotia and learning about our local community. Yes, thank you. And now we can officially say that Members of the Chamber has gone international. (laughs) Well, on that note, our next guest also brings an international background as well. That's true. His business serves clients around the globe, and he also immigrated to Canada from South Africa. Well, let's get to it. Dave Oswald is a chartered accountant with a passion for uncovering fraud or error. His global, multinational experience spans over 20 years, having led investigations in high-level C-suite executive cases with success. Dave has extensive experience in data preservation and review, computer forensics, data analytics, and general fraud reviews. Dave has testified in federal court in the United States of America as an expert witness, has interviewed numerous suspects and witnesses, and has given Evidence in Internal Disciplinary Proceedings. Dave, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Drew. Nice to meet you. So, a trained chartered accountant with a passion for uncovering fraud or error. What experience early on in your career led you down this path? Well, I was one of those very strange accountants who, during the articles, found three frauds. Now, I say strange because auditors only find five centimeter frauds that take place. 
So for one little article, Clark, to find three of them was a good road to saying that I had a nose for looking for where fraud was and what it looked like, and then being able to chase down. Nice. And so where uh, where did you start your career? So I started my career originally in Johannesburg in South Africa, um, where I lived for 30 years. So it was an eye-opener to the types of fraud that take place, but probably what was even more of an eye-opener was coming across to Canada and realizing that really there's very little difference. Wherever there's money, people always seem to want to steal it. So so picking up on that, you're relatively new to Oakville. I believe you joined the chamber around the same time I started with the organization. Um, but how did you end up in Oakville? A strange story. I knew one person who lived in Oakville. So when I decided to move across from South Africa to Canada, we I put out a three-word job application, any jobs there, to one of the people that I used to work with in that place. And he said, yeah, sure, come across. And as part of that, I said, well, where do you live? And he said, Oakville. And that's how I ended up in Oakville. Well, and Oakville has a little bit of a South Africa population here. Uh, you know, a lot of chamber members, um, Neil Cause with Geotab, uh, folks at Florence Meets, uh, our chair of our board, Doug Eglinton, uh, Euroline Appliances. So there's a little bit of a South Africa community here, isn't there? There's a rather large one here, actually. There's a lot of people from SA who seem to have settled here. But could you think of a nicer town in which to settle? No, we uh, we think we're pretty lucky to, to call Oakville home, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely town. So uh, back to back to your career here. What would be an example of a high-level C-suite executive case be that you would that you would work on? So we worked on various assignments where uh, let's take the one which I could mention. We had a, a financial director who just basically didn't understand the difference between the company's bank account and his own bank account. Hmm. So he went about. He was very capable and very good. Accountant. He was well liked by the other board members. He was well liked by his staff. He was very generous to his staff, um, selling them cars for one dollar and all sorts of other fun things that he did. But as part of that, what he also did is he managed to buy himself a second property uh, with company funds, managed to furnish it. He had a string of girlfriends who he put up in hotels in order to be with because he was married at the time and he charged all of that to company expense and just basically supplemented his day-to-day income with company money. And so your job would be to be brought in by the company to, they were suspicious of this and uh, you'd go through the finances to uncover it? They actually weren't suspicious of him at all when we were first called in. It was simply a case of they called us in and said, we've got a, we think we've got a problem with a couple of contracts. Can you have a look at it? Because only when we started having a look that we discovered that one of the contracts was giving a backhand to the um, chief financial officer. And that was our in into doing the investigation. And from there, the investigation grew until we finally prosecuted him and he was locked away for five years. Wow. So what's that like when you are going through these documents, you uncover fraud at this level to a company that's not suspecting it, and then you are you around the boardroom and you reveal this information? I mean, that must be uh, that must be quite a, quite a revelation. It's quite an eye-opener for a lot of companies. The biggest investigations I've been involved in 
are normally investigations where the company doesn't, they've got an inkling that something's happened, but they have no idea of what size it is. So we often say that as a company, if you suspect fraud, whatever you suspect, multiply by 10, and you're probably around about that's the right number. And that's kind of where my career over 30 years and you know number of investigations that I've done, that's kind of where we normally end up. So if the company thinks that a million dollars has gone missing, by the time we're finished looking at it, pretty sure that we'll find around about 10 million. Well, wow, so that's a pretty good return on investment for a, for an organization to hire you to come in and uh, you know to to cut off that uh, that fraud. Well, often you know one of the strange things about fraud, especially if you look at procurement fraud or something like that, you might get rid of the procurement director because you think getting backhanders from a supplier, but if you don't know all of the places that getting backhanders from, you might still be pulling the string on contracts that you're running. Years after he's left the country, we had one instance where a procurement manager was doing exactly that. He was fired. He wasn't prosecuted. Or should I say he was asked to resign? She did. And they gave him a going away package, which I thought was hysterical. Um, But he was dealing by, what he'd done is he had arranged with a couple of suppliers to give him a commission on all the sales that were made. And we worked out that we went in and we started doing the investigation. We worked out to a ceiling, but this guy let go like three or four years before we went to the investigation. One of the things we uncovered in the investigation was that some of these suppliers were still paying him to that day. That he he was so deeply ingrained with the people who were working under him that they continued to follow his orders on how to do the pay on who to purchase from. And he was still getting paid even though he'd left the company. Wow. So just because you you got rid of somebody doesn't necessarily mean that that's the end of it for your company. Wow, interesting. So I want to pick up on something you mentioned as one of your first answers, focusing on your multinational experience. What is it like working in different countries and jurisdictions? Are there different standards or is it a challenge to understand you know, what may be okay in country A might not apply in Canada or vice versa? Oh, right around the world is so different. I mean, if you just want to have a look at differences between the United States and Canada, the laws are so vastly different in some areas. Theft at the end of the day is still theft wherever it is, but the way of prosecuting is very, very different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. We work on the British system here in Canada. If you go somewhere like Switzerland or um, if you go to some of the South American countries, they work on the Napoleonic Code, so the French type of code of justice, which is more adversarial to type justice, and it's completely different. The Crown takes a lot less, doesn't get as involved in those countries as it does in somewhere like Canada. So let's uh, let's continue down this path with the court process. Walk me through the process of being selected as an expert witness, and what do you do to prepare when you're attending court? Well, as an expert witness, it's really to qualifications. The number of, there's a whole host that goes into being qualified as an expert. So I've done a lot of speaking. I've been involved in setting up fraud manuals or the ACFI. I've had a lot of experience outside just the forensic field, which gives me the ability to be qualified as an expert apart from the degrees that I have, the McTronic Account PA, 
a certified fraud examiner and a certified fraud investigator. I've got lots of initials behind my name which help that qualification process. The actual interesting part about being a forensic examiner is that we do it without fear or favor. So we're not there to just prosecute a person. We're there to find out what the truth is and to deliver that truth. And that's the really important part in my mind of what a forensic accountant does because we do, we give a clear indication of exactly what's happened in the fraud to the court. We're required to sign papers going in to say that we're working without fear or favor when we are presenting evidence and that our evidence will be neutral. Interesting. So you're also an entrepreneur. Um, having started your own business. Uh, how's that experience been for you? Look, I feel for any small business owner at the moment in the times that we're in. Um, I think all of us are challenged with COVID and with the lockdowns that have occurred. It's always interesting being a small company and starting off and getting new clients on board, clients that trust what you do. As far as that goes, it's, it is challenging. There's a lot of red tape in Canada that has to cross. And that does make it incredibly difficult for the smaller business. Have you always been an entrepreneur or before you moved to Oakville, were you a part of a, a larger company that did this? And, uh, I started my entrepreneurial career when I was in university, when I paid my way through university running a business. Um, so that was kind of my first foray into business. And ever since then, I've been involved in various different projects. I've run, run forensic restitution now effectively for 20-odd years. So we started in 2002, so 19 years ago. And it's been quite an eye-opener. I've also worked for some of the big four accounting firms on the way. When we shut down forensic restitution in South Africa, I came and joined Ernst & Young in Canada, and I'd previously worked for Ernst & Young in South Africa. So we have big company experience, but we also... I like the idea of running a boutique firm which is focused on client needs. Yeah, so that's an interesting point too. So who are your competitors now? Um, do those big firms, the large firms, have full departments that specialize in this type of work? Or have you carved out more of a niche for yourself uh, with forensic restitution here in Canada? No, all of the big four have, well, probably the big six have their own forensic department and a lot of other accounting firms try and do forensic accounting as well. There's a, there is a lot of people out there in the market who actually do do forensic accounting. Benefit between running a small boutique type practice is that we're able to put top-notch people onto jobs rather than to put juniors on jobs, which mm-hmm. is what tends to happen in the bigger companies. So how has COVID impacted your work? And, you know, I understand it's a different focus and a different scope, but we just went through our first virtual audit just a routine audit that we do every year at the chamber. But is it a challenge to conduct your work virtually, or have you not noticed much of a change? Yeah, no, there's huge changes. I mean, we're about to interview a couple of people next week, and the protocols that we're having to go through in order to do the interview is, is huge. We're having to all go and be tested for COVID before we go out and interview. We've got to hire boardrooms, which are five times the size of what we'd normally hire just to be able to do an interview. We're not going to be able to sit close and upfront and personal with people, which at times you want to do when you're interviewing them. It really is. It's changed completely. The other more sad change is that a lot of people at the moment are struggling 
people wondering if their companies are going to survive, and therefore they're more focused on that than having a look for people who are stealing money from their companies. I guess that's an interesting point you raised about interviewing uh, someone in person. You must get much more information when you're sitting across a boardroom table from them and asking them these tough questions and trying to extract that information than you would uh, sitting at a Zoom screen and, uh, and trying to get the read. How important is it for you to be in the room with someone when you're having these conversations? It's really important. I mean, I'll give you an example. We did an interview with a guy a couple of weeks ago over Zoom, and it was so funny because you could see that there was a guy on the other side of the screen coaching him on what to say while we were busy interviewing. And, you know, there's nothing actually you could do because they were obviously writing notes and holding up the notes as to what to say. Because every now and then you'd see this guy look up and you could actually see his eyes something then coming back and giving us an answer. So you have those sort of problems that you have multiple people in the room that you don't know about. You have, you're not able to see all of the body language that goes on now. 70, 80% of our communication is body language, not actually verbal. And with Zoom, you're cutting it down to basically your face. So you're not able to see a lot of the other telltale signs that go on, hand movement, what people are actually doing in order to while they're telling you their story. So did you have uh, extensive training in how to read someone's body language, or is that just something you've kind of picked up over the uh, duration of your career doing this type of work? I've read numerous books on body language. Uh, it's one of my passions that we stu- of study. We also have Vanessa Greenblatt, also from the Chamber, who works on looking for micro-expressions in people who sits in on interviews with us in order to understand where people are lying and when they're not lying. That's really interesting. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to leave it here, Dave, but I do have one last question uh, for you. And, uh, you know, fascinating career you have. Um, You've been in a lot of really interesting rooms and situations. But throughout it all, what's the best piece of advice you've received in your career? Trust but verify. Probably the best piece of advice that I've heard. Trust what you're given, but always verify that it's correct at the end of the day. And always remember that the nicest person in the room, probably the one who's stealing from you. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's probably more true in your business than many others. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good note to leave it on. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Drew. Your members and listeners, thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to join us. If you know someone that would make an interesting guest on Members of the Chamber, please send us a note to info at oakvillechamber.com. We would love to hear from you. Make sure you stay up to date with what's going on at the Chamber by following along on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you to our producer and Chamber Communications Manager, Kristen Curry. Talk to you soon, Oakville Chamber. Have a safe and productive day.